This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. What a difference a year makes. Tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary of the election that swept the Doug Ford government into power. How are they doing? You certainly can't accuse this government of doing nothing. They have been moving at breakneck speed on their agenda and then backtracking in some cases. The honeymoon is definitely over and there have been a few rough patches. The opposition is champing at the bit, saying that Doug Ford's performance is their best advantage, but lots of people are fully behind their agenda and their team. So I want to hear from you. What do you think? Did you vote for him? Are you happy you did? Do you regret it? How do you think they did in the first year? Uh, the numbers 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now we are going to talk to some of the people that we talked to in the lead up to this election. I'd like to welcome Bob Richardson, Senior Counsel to National Public Relations, and Kim Wright, Principal of Kim Wright Strategies, with me in studio and on the line, John Mikatishan. Welcome to you all. Hi, Libby. Libby. Great to be here. Okay, so let's start with John. You're the conservative here. How did they do? Well, that's a really interesting question. Uh, I was going to say... from your intro, uh, first there was no honeymoon. Um, this uh, there was no honeymoon, and that this premier set out to call the house back. I'm not sure if he set a record, but he might have. Uh, he put in more legislation on the table, and he's passed more legislation in a quicker period of time than anybody can recall any former government doing. Um, uh, he certainly had a mandate to stop the craziness of the liberal overspending. And this is where it gets to be interesting on a report card, because on one hand, uh, he's doing a lot. Uh, and everybody, the, the predominant opinion in Ontario is people wanted things to be better. They wanted change. They wanted to stop the reckless spending, but not the reckless spending if it involved them, which is where it becomes interesting. And on the same token, the, the premier has been careful uh, if you've so far, if you've yelled loud enough, he has backed away. And uh, so you could say he's listening. Uh, but for people who are very concerned or concerned the most about the budget and the deficit, um, he hasn't uh, made major strides in getting the government under control yet. And uh, so that becomes kind of interesting from conservative perspective of for, among those who may have been looking for that or hoping for that. So it's a, it's a real mixed bag, um, but certainly an activist uh, government that's taking on what it sees to be uh, the problem of the day. And uh, the jury's out on the long term what will happen with them. I'm going to let Bob respond since you referred to liberals, but just picking up on one thing that you said, we had a fascinating conversation with the Fraser Institute. If you're talking about uh, conservative criticism, and basically they were saying, 
that Doug Ford's deficit-cutting plan matches up almost exactly to Dalton McGinty's, that it's going too slow. But, Bob, please respond to John. Well, when the conservative on the panel says uh, it's a really interesting question of whether the government's doing well or not, I think that gives you the answer that uh, that uh, that, you know, look, it has not been a good year for this government. Uh, the polls are uh, low. Uh, the premier has historically low approval rating for a premier at this time in his term, almost 20 points lower. Uh, they're in difficult shape almost in every demographic and every region in the province. They're at war with municipal governments. The People in the autism community, even the business community has significant uh, complaints against them, as we saw just yesterday. And when it comes to spending, the truth of the matter is he is spending $14 million more a day than Kathleen Wynne did. It takes some sort of political genius to spend $14 million more a day than Kathleen Wynne and still uh, be on the hot seat for cutting programs. So it has not been a great government. They have no plan. There's been tons of chaos. Uh, it's basically a government run by two people, him and his top aide, Dean French. Uh, and uh, people know that. And you know what? Kathleen Wynne ran not a dissimilar government at the back end of her government where it was just a couple people running the show. That's not good. It didn't work for her. It's not going to work for him. He's got to make some changes over the next five months uh, in order to get his government back on track. Kim, your take, and also how is Andrea Horvath doing? So let's start with the with the premier first. Uh, you know, this is a government. Yes, they went back in uh, uh, with uh, swearing in their ministers and hitting the ground running. Unfortunately, they stumbled right out of the gate because they kept adding things in. There was no reason to uh, cut the city of Toronto in half at the last minute. There was no reason to destabilize elections in multiple municipalities, except for the premier wanted to be the mayor uh, and not the premier. And he decided to take uh, take his licks where he could with the, with these governments. And what we've seen from the very beginning has been this uh, ideological, I want to exact revenge on or change this big big C change, but without actually thinking about what are the unintended consequences? How is he bringing people along for the ride? We talk about what happened with public health. It wasn't so much that he was fundamentally changing some of the dynamics in public health, although he was, it was that he did it retroactively without any any ups uh, any way of telling uh, councils and mayors that he was doing this. He sent them a letter three weeks after the fact, and these are the types of things that got everyone upset that there is no plan that there, and that's why they have to backtrack on a number of these. They're not bringing people along for the ride. They haven't learned, frankly, who most of their cabinet members are, let alone who the rest of their seventy-two member caucus are. What do they want to do? What are things that matter to conservatives? Uh, keeping in mind that a year and a half ago, at the start of last year, uh, you know, the, the the now premier was running for mayor of Toronto, not to be premier of the province. So he had to get a lot of up to speed. And he hasn't done that yet. He hasn't seemed to care to do that yet. And all he has done is continue to destabilize both on the bureaucratic side, but also uh, governments across across Ontario, municipal governments who have no idea what they can expect for uh, downloading and uploading conversations, what they can expect for uh, even their even their planning matters. Uh, you know, whether or not I agree that there should be more density uh, along certain corridors in Toronto, the fact that there was a plan that got overridden by the province. So 
all of these things, it just confuses and destabilizes uh, the politics of the day, for sure. John, what's your response to that? Is he just fighting too many battles on too many fronts? And and, uh, why isn't he saving that much money doing it? No, and and this is where it gets a little complicated. So in the first instance, um, subways were designed to have intensification. So that's an example for me of when the premier sees uh, a municipality not doing the right thing, not maximizing intensification along a subway line. Well, why would you bother with the subway line? So this premier absolutely, if he sees something wrong, gets involved. Uh, I can tell you I saw him last week at a social event, uh, the Queen's Park uh Spring Fling, which I'm uh, for the press gallery puts on. So we're not supposed to talk about anything that happened in the meeting, but I can tell you what I said to the Premier, which was more faster. Um, everybody who says consult, everybody who says, or not everybody, but most of the people who are using the words consult, slow down, talk to me, that's all code for we don't like your government. We don't agree with what you're doing. Uh, the only thing we're interested in you doing is stopping any plan that involves us unless you're going to spend more money. And that's that's what's going on. You're getting a considerable pushback from the people who never supported this government, never would, and don't believe in its fundamental direction. Now, the conversations about uh, the Bob alluded to as to uh, uh, whether or not there's a plan and, and uh, how it's being implemented and who it's being implemented to and have they learned from the mistakes that I think everybody would agree they've made the first year? Uh, those are the really big questions that, that are valid, and I think we'll look forward to finding out the answers to in the uh, hopefully weeks ahead, not the months ahead. But, uh, but, John, it's not about being consultative. It's about being considered. And there are a lot of unintended consequences that when you run so fast on an ideological basis that there's there seems to be a lot of oops moments with this government of, oops, we didn't quite think that was going to be that way. Or, oops, we didn't quite communicate that appropriately uh, to mayors or councillors or large urban mayors or anyone else. Uh, you know, those types of uh, considered measures that we would hope you would see uh, when you're making big seismic changes to government, that's what we're missing. And that's not about the amount well, of people well, you let, consult. Let me, let me that's give you, just consideration. Go straight to that example, okay? Ford, we're, we're having this conversation today because Ford and his government were elected a year ago. So June uh, the uh, 7th or 8th, uh, they were elected a year ago. And they were very clear that they were going to make cuts and that they were going to try to get the financial house in order. It wasn't until November that but, every single council in Ontario got elected, all 444 of them. And between then and whenever they passed their budgets, not one of them went to the province and said, by the way, um, are we going to count on the money, like the money we're putting in our budgets that we're getting from you? We are getting that, right? That's no not even had that conversation. So there's a whole lot of people being disingenuous about what they believe to be uh, normal and what they're expecting and entitled to. Okay, uh, Bob, you're shaking your head. Well, let me just respond to John on one thing. First of all, there are some things that this government is doing that I don't necessarily disagree with. 
on on uh, on the beer convenience issue. We probably need I want to hit more. that in a minute. On, but yeah. on, on public health, putting some parameters on what municipal public health organizations should and shouldn't be doing is is a fair game to take a look at. On density in Toronto, we're building the crosstown and there's not sufficient density there. I agree with John on some of these issues. My problem is this guy does it in such a ham-fisted manner that you know, it's almost impossible to support him. Like John Tory's a pretty decent guy to be able to work with. It's funny, uh, all sorts of different people in the business community and others can can manage to work with him. Uh, but you know, you don't text somebody the night before who's the mayor of your largest city and tell him you're making major changes to their official plan. That's not how you do business. And the more they do that, the more likely that he will not be premier of Ontario three years. So from you're now. talking about a style thing. Here's a question that I have a, a, about the beer thing. Did you find it odd? I first found it odd when Rocco Rossi, the head of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, made his comment saying, uh, we agree with modernization, but don't, don't cut the contract. And then the American Chamber of yeah. Commerce weighed in. Uh, what's up with that? I, I assumed that Rossi was under some kind of big pressure, but, but, uh, uh, I don't know. I just thought that was odd. And, and you mentioned, Bob, that uh, business is uh, taking him on as well. Well, you know what? Two, two ambassadors spoke yesterday in the city from the EU and others raising serious concerns about the breaking of contracts, yeah. uh, the breaking of the wind contract with the German uh, with the German country, um, the breaking of the contract here with uh, with, you know, large multinationals. You can't run around sloganeering and yeah. saying Ontario's open for business when you're conducting yourself in a fashion that is exactly the opposite. And that's not Joe Liberal saying that. That's what the business community is saying. So these guys have got a lot to learn. And I don't think that they fully think things through before they do them. And I think that they lack some of the experience that perhaps other premiers and senior aides well, have we, had. And I think we're I think we're seeing some of that, to be frank. And regardless of whatever you might have considered those contracts to be or not be, uh, the fact is that there are contracts and those have standing and they're designed to withstand beyond the term of a political this one the was, political yeah. strategy. Now, the other part of this and fundamentally breaking contracts with governments is a big problem and that's why the chambers both in Canada and the US have said whoa hold on slow your roll this is not the right approach to doing this uh, this is not how you do, gov do government business uh, but more than that you know, first of all, there are agency stores across Ontario. So in convenience stores, you can get alcohol. So I'm not sure what the rush is. It's six more years on this contract. I get it's a negotiation ploy. But when you start talking about what are the cuts that we have to make because we can't afford programs, but somehow we can afford a lot of money to break a contract with a beer store, uh, I think Ontarians have rights to question that. John? Yeah, again, this is, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I'm not in studio with you because I'd love to be rolling around hilariously right now. <laughs> okay, um, well, the, you're, you're the, welcome the number, anytime, John. The, the number one uh, contract that uh, all of us real people are familiar with is a marriage contract that we agree to life. And one out of two of us uh, tends to fail at that and bails. So, and, and let's be clear, there's a reason why lawyers are among the highest paid professions, and there's so many of them, because companies, corporations, governments 
break contracts every single day. They change their minds. They decide to get out of them. They negotiate. And all that's happening right now in the public discussion with the beer companies is a big negotiation. I, I told the premier he did what he should do. Again, unsolicited. I'm not one of his advisors. When I bump into him, I, I do what any normal guy in the street would do. And I'd say, let the beer companies keep their contract. Announce that, uh, I said, you should go for cider, uh, Ontario cider and wine in the corner stores and let the beer companies know that when their contract is up, um, there's going to be a, a massive new tax brought on them. So, you know, there are other options. And, you know, we'll see what happens when this is all done, because uh, like most negotiations, when it's over, everybody's going to look at our free trade negotiations when they're over. Everybody smiles for the pictures and signs the papers, and then they go on their merry way. And all the uh, uh, all the knuckle dragging and the screaming and uh, you know chest ripping all disappears in the fullness of time. And and that's what's going to happen here as well. I, I, let's let's just take a call from Pat in Toronto. Hi, Pat. Good morning. <clears throat> I have two issues. Um, the and they both relate to the subway in Toronto. And I am very concerned when the premier is extending the young subway to Richmond Hill, when those of us that live in the city can't get on already. And secondly, that he's going to now allow um, super buildings, you know, higher buildings so that there are more people on the subway line. That's simply a payoff to the uh, to the real estate community. And uh, it's just wrong. You know what? Thanks, Pat. Uh, we'll get to that because the fundamental question is, does he really want to be the mayor of Toronto? Bob, you think so? Well, I mean, his interventions on the most peculiar things related to Toronto is ridiculous, down to obscure Section 37 money, the size of the council, the density at XYZ corner. I mean, let me tell you, Premier Davis wasn't spending his time on this. Premier Harris wasn't spending his time on this. Uh, there were a whole variety of others uh, that uh, that weren't uh, conducting themselves in the manner that this guy uh, is doing. I think he's doing it to to his detriment too. And I think it's part of his problem. But the major problem, it all leads back to one thing. They have no plan. And when you have no plan, you run around and you do a million little things. And that's what we've been seeing for a year. He needs, he's got five months before the house comes back. He's got an opportunity to kind of rejig his government, put a plan in place. He has six or eight pretty good ministers. He ought to let them do their jobs. People like uh, Monty McNaughton and Peter Bethan-Folly and uh, I would say Christine Elliott and Carolyn Mulrooney, Yurik, the transport minister. There's some good people in that cabinet. But, you know, he needs – they need to come up with a plan. He needs to let people do their jobs. He needs to stop micromanaging every corner in the city of Toronto and whether the garbage can was, uh, you know, picked up at uh, Young and Finch and get – back to being the premier of Ontario, which is supposed to be somebody that focuses on the big picture, big issues, and uh, and make sure that the province is moving forward. John, what about that criticism that he's trying to be the mayor of Toronto? Um, well, uh, I, let me say, I agree with everything that Bob just said that was positive and prescriptive to moving forward, except with this. Um, when it's a little rich 
to say that, um, you know, of our province, our largest city, our capital, two and a half million people, that the Premier of Ontario shouldn't pay any attention to them and should say, it's not my job, go talk to your mayor. Uh, there are powers that, you know, it is the predominant uh, government in Ontario, the Ontario government. And when there's major things that have been mishandled by countless previous mayors and councils that have been completely inept at ever having a proper transit system in Toronto, uh, everybody would agree with that. People who never ride the transit and people who only ride the transit. So we actually have a government that's come in with the courage to fix those problems. And I think Ford has done a great job on some things. And, and uh, uh, I would agree with Bob that it's an absolute head-scratcher to find a guy who is so concerned that he deals with the little issues. But that's, that's, uh, that's a characteristic, that's a personality, uh, DNA trait of the Fords, that they've always paid attention to the real people. Uh, people were expecting him to stop giving out his phone number when he became premier, and he's continued to do that. I know, and but does he pick it up? <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, he does sometimes. Sometimes. Um, and, and I can just say that, again, it's a, um, it's a unique style. Um, you know, he got, let's, let's go back. If we go back just over a year ago, this is not somebody who spent three years as leader of the party getting ready for an election. Um, there was an opportunity to become leader of the party that was about to become government. He took that. He didn't take six months or a year once elected to come back with legislation and a, and a plan that some people would be happy with. Uh, and, and I agree with Bob. He now has five months to take a pause, to, uh, you know, circle back with his ministers and his caucus and say, where are we at? What do we do right? What do we do wrong? And what can we do better? So I think it's a, I, I you know, hats off to him for doing so much, uh, even, even if it wasn't the way we would have liked it to be communicated or implemented. Uh, I got to tell you, 95% of what they've done, I don't have a problem with, with the policy and the implementation, except I would have uh, cut more and um, done more. So my thoughts on this often are, look, they've done some work on infrastructure. I think that Minister McNaughton has done a, an admiral job uh, on a number of these initiatives and things that needed to get uh, to get built. Uh, you know, talking about mayors who decided to cut transit or haven't done uh, transit. The first act of uh, Mayor Rob Ford was to cut Transit City, which actually was getting underway. And some of it on Shepherd would have actually been operational today had it actually moved move forward. And by the way, was funded by the province. Uh, but, you know, details, I guess. Um, this is a premier who has spent a lot of time settling old scores, whether it be with Mayor Patrick Brown in Brampton or Mayor Tory or whomever. And a lot of transit planning uh, has continued to have to be rewritten because of different changes uh, that the provincial government has tried to do. If they decide to finally put some shovels in the ground on some of these big projects, great, because they actually need to stop being talked about and actually be built out. Uh, but all of these, I'm going to pick battles of the city of Toronto. Yeah, that's generally how you get elected, beat up on the city of Toronto. But he hasn't just beaten up on Toronto. He's beaten up on everywhere. And that becomes a problem. And that's why his polling numbers are a lot of the way they are. A number of their supporters are quite concerned about the two steps forward, five steps back. And 
all of this notion that we're going to take a big pause at this particular premier and this particular government is going to pause for the next five months, that's ludicrous. What I'm expecting to see are an awful lot of orders in council that aren't shown as much scrutiny as they should be. Uh, one question to you, moving to the opposition. Absolutely. Andrea Horvath, how's she doing as leader of the opposition? A lot of people also like her less than they did going into the last election. So Andrea took a bit of time after the campaign to recalibrate, get to know her 40-person caucus, which was double the size of her previous caucus, getting used to the idea of being leader of the official opposition. This, this, was, a big, uh, this was a big jump for her and a lot more people taking on a lot more responsibilities. But I will tell you, I saw Andrea a couple of weeks back and uh, she probably has more, I need to go out there and win next time. Uh, than I've seen and seen her have. I think there is a, a realization that uh, while we all say campaigns matter, uh, what she has felt and seen in the legislature this session really is about why those things do matter to Ontarians. She has a convention coming up next weekend in Hamilton uh, where she will be re-elected as leader and uh, and will set out her vision for the next four years. Do I think there have been stumbling points? Do I think everyone's trying to figure out how to uh deal with this premier, deal with this government, because it's very different than previous ones? Absolutely. Bob, what about the Liberals? Yesterday we talked uh, to uh, MPP Koto, who uh, will be a leadership candidate. Uh, he's trying to revitalize the Liberals, says they've learned lessons, though he defended that beer contract. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't defend the beer contract because I thought it was poorly executed. But anyways, I digress. Listen, uh, I think we should stick with no leader for a while because we keep going up in the polls. So I think this isn't such a bad uh, plan that we have in place. Look, we have our we have our uh, convention this weekend. We have about a thousand people coming to the uh, Liberal Convention as delegates this uh, this coming weekend, which is great for for a party that isn't. Uh, it doesn't even have official status. It's been a good year, strangely enough, for the Ontario Liberal Party. Uh, the interim leader's done a good job. Uh, it's sort of got its act together. Um, it's sort of put its framework together to move forward. This weekend, we'll pick how we'll choose our next leader. There's already two or three, I think, decent candidates. There'll be probably a couple of more coming in the race. So overall, it hasn't been uh, it hasn't been the year I expected. You know, it could have been that the Ontario Liberal Party just went away into the ether, never to be seen again. And instead, you'll see a thousand people this weekend at a convention. Well, That's you, not so bad. Although you did lose two MPPs, yeah, I, unfortunately. I, I, and I think I, I, Kathleen Wynne, frankly, has done an admirable job of yeah. staying on and articulating why she I will win both of those seats pretty easily in by election, so I'm not overly uh, I'm not overly panicked uh, uh, overly panicked by let's, that. Let's just grab a call from Dan before we start to wrap things up. Dan in Vaughn, hello. Hey, good morning, Libby. How are you? Fine. Good afternoon. Uh, in this conversation, there's been I think twice that it was alluded to five months of no government. Well, they're not sitting. Well, you know that's their job is to sit to make laws legislation and what are they doing you know we're paying them uh i wish i could get five months of uh go fishing and uh you know this is this is when my father was alive and this was under uh davis government they all complained about two months and here we are five months like what are we gonna be another 15 years it'll be nine months <laughs> <laughs> we hear you, Dan. We'll end up with a government of, you know, 
three months of government and uh, less time to put their feet in it for sure. Uh, you know, it's just, I, I think the working people look at this and they just say, this is crazy. Okay, Dan, thanks for that. Okay, okay people, uh, we are wrapping things up. You know, I think this is going to be the big topic tomorrow on Free For All Friday. Uh, John McCutition, what would you like to leave us with on this? Uh, I, I get the concern that was just expressed, but I think if people reflect upon the last uh, 12 months, uh, it has been a very busy year for the government. They need a rest. And I think uh, everyone would wish for uh, more plan and less chaos and better communication. And if it takes five months to have the next year ahead, uh, have us happy in 12 months with uh, the break, uh, it's well worth it. Bob? I tend to agree with uh, my friend here, actually. I said less chaos. Uh, uh, this government needs a plan. Uh, I think he's got to let his cabinet ministers do their job. Uh, and we need uh, less control from the center and uh, more more letting people do what they're supposed to be doing in government. It works best that way. Yeah, let's let's sort these things out. Let's be more forward thinking, actually collaborate with municipalities, actually collaborate uh, between ministers and the premier's office. And, you know, there is no monopoly on good ideas. So the the premier's office should also look at how they collaborate with opposition uh, and stakeholders who may not have been traditionally on board and stakeholders who they've lost in the last year, bringing them back on and understanding what's been the problem. And I think uh, I think more planning, less chaos is a great uh, should be their next slogan okay well thank you all bob richardson kim wright and john mcetition really appreciate your insights and people as i said i suspect this will be the big topic on free for all friday tomorrow which is coming up and uh, we'll hear more from your takes on that at that time you're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio heard weekdays from noon to one You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.